Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hello and welcome to episode one of a brand new roundtable conversation with me, Ben Bidwell, an AQ professor. And I'm joined this month by two brilliant men who... I feel have just got an incredible story to share, especially right now with everything going on over the last month or so in, in the UK. It was beautiful that we had Amy and Farah last month talking about the power of the feminine energy. And I, I that, that was a really beautiful and powerful conversation for me because as regular listeners will know, I'm so passionate about the power of the feminine energy and how it's missing society and how we don't celebrate it for the beautiful energy that it is. But I also conscious right now, I, 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 it's a really difficult space for me because as someone who does a lot of work with men, I'm also conscious of the challenges that men men face. And whilst I can't condone so much of the behavior and the destruction that men cause, perhaps having done the work that I do, there is a bit more understanding around why men behave how they do. And obviously having not experienced the problems that so many have at the expense of men, I, I, I'm able to sit in a, in a bit more of a compassionate space right now. I don't have the wounds to heal around men that, that others do. So I wanted to bring alive a conversation with two men who I know have been through really challenging paths and my intention is to, to 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 allow people to have a bit more understanding of perhaps why some men do behave as they do not to condone their behavior but just to understand the journey of men a little bit because in that space we might I don't know that for me it's where we can find a bit of progress there can be a little bit more compassion we can see that you know hurt people hurt people and what we're going to hear from Rick and Mason today, two beautiful men who actually both work as men's coaches now, having been on the journey that they're on. We can hear the pain that they are in and the destruction that they caused around them. You know, Mason ended up in prison. Rick was troubled from a really early age in terms of what who he was meant to be as a man and it shaped him. And he was a man who was very much not himself for many years, which I can really resonate as, as I did with Mason. You know, both stories incredibly powerful, but both men were trying to be men that they felt they had to be. Strong, tough, brave, unemotional. And you'll hear their stories and you'll understand why, why they behave like that and how it shaped them. And as we go through, we've got three, three conversations with these two guys. Um, you'll learn a little bit about where they've got to now and how they got there. But in this first episode, we're gonna hear about their stories 
and you'll get a taster for the space they're in because we have a check-in and there are some truths shared at the very beginning you know it's it's i'm always so pleased to sit in a space where we can just share how we feel honestly and, and these two are two very tough guys and i kind of make a joke about it at the beginning but traditionally two very very tough guys it's just beautiful to be able to say how are you doing guys and for that to hear their truths and for there to be no pretense around it so that's what this episode is all about and it sets us up beautifully to go into the following two weeks and we really get into the depths of, of understanding men much deeper so for now i want to introduce two brilliant men two men i've got so much time for rick and mason and i hope you enjoy listening to their stories and understanding a little bit more about the journey that men go through mason rick what a privilege, what a pleasure for me to sit in this space with you two. I'm really excited for this. We just sat here. You both just told me you're nervous, but you probably both play it cool now. So we, now, now we've got to go. <laughs> We're all tough guys here. So no, it's beautiful to have you here. And I'd love to actually just allow space to, um, to have a quick check in with you both so we can just create a bit of space and, and know where we're all at. Um, there's a lot going on in the world. So um, yeah. How are you both doing, really? Um, Mason, you're sitting next to me on Zoom. So I'll start with you if that's all right. I am good. I just had this conversation with a mate who I haven't spoken to since I've, I've come out to Dubai. If I'm honest, I'm still kind of navigating it. I've been so excited to get it, but now that I'm actually here, it feels like such a big change. I was out, I've been out twice in the last week just for dinner and a drink with a mate. And there's like a hundred people in one place drinking, kind of partying. I've realized how sensitive I've become to that because over the last year, I've been a maximum around about three people, you know? So I do feel that it has been, had more of an impact on me than I thought it would do so now i found myself being in more than i thought i would have been and that's okay because i realize what it is i'm just going to just try and be easy on myself before i start to go out and see all my old mates around here and, and do all that stuff but generally i'm good i feel positive i feel i'm okay with the discomfort you know and that's it nice dude thank you yeah because you're in bali at the moment right i don't know if i missed that at the very beginning but yeah and yeah, it's um yeah, it's yeah. different out there to london right very, very. And yeah, you see something's going on in the world, but it's just not in your face. Like, I don't watch the news anyway, but it's not, I have no idea what's going on back home. And I get my little fix by on social media now and then. But other than that, I have no idea. And I'm okay being in the dark because whatever's going on, I don't need to know. Yeah, you're, you're okay in Bali. Thank you for sharing. Rick, how you doing, brother? Great to see you. You too, my man. You too. Yeah, I'm, I'm well. Same as same as Mace, really. Like, a little bit nervous being, being on the call. Don't know why, for some reason. My palms just went sweaty for a live. Pretty from excitement. It's great to connect um, with Mace and yourself, Ben. Everything's really good, you know. I'm going to echo Mace. And I don't pay attention to the news either. And I'm really interesting to say... I always say I keep myself in the dark, but then I suddenly realise my, my life's become very light and I don't listen to what's going on in the outside world. Yeah, I'm all right. I'm in a good place, you know, just at peace. So, uh, yeah, I'm just honoured to be on here. Thank you very much for having me. No, no, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. And just, I think, maybe I'd quite like to check in as well because I think, it, I don't know, it allows us all to see each other, doesn't it? And, and I don't know, for me, it's been... Uh, you know, I feel like I've been saying this for a while now, but it's it's partly a sense of overwhelm, but it's just, I think I live on my own in a flat in London. And, and you know, as someone said to me, it's not, we're not um, working from home, we're living in the office in that capacity, you know, and I just find it really hard to get away. And, you know, work is quite tough at the moment. There's a lot going on. So I kind of just feel a bit stuck in this tough world, you know, with, with no real, and, and all of us will probably talk at some point about escaping, but there is no real escape for me at the moment. I just feel constantly immersed. I've really become quite conscious of, I've been talking about this for a while as well. So something's a constant work on, but just, you know, 
finding more play in my life, you know, it's, 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 it's hard. I'm like, where is the play? There is, you know, I'm in my flat. I'm, I'm constantly working. If work is tough. It's like, how are we, how are we making play out of this? So yeah, I feel kind of a bit stuck in, in that kind of rut at the moment. I check in a lot of my community and I feel like I'm on, I'm saying that on repeat and I'm waiting, you know, I talk about life is, 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 the, is a roller coaster. It's highs and lows. And of course it is, but I feel like it's been a bit of a challenging period for a while now, to be honest, nothing to, you know, I can't complain. I am fortunate. But just in terms of the highs and the lows, I feel like at the moment I'm, it's 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 heavy, heavy energy. Sitting in this space with you both is 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 beautiful and, and just you know I, I'm really excited. Everything just becomes present, right? When we sit in, in here and we we do what we do, and I'm really grateful for that. So um, yeah, really excited just to go on this journey with you both now. Mate, you you, you just took me back to um where I was a few weeks ago before I came out. It was so heavy. It was so heavy and. And yeah, you can kind of say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still fortunate, but it doesn't take away the weight. You know, it doesn't take away the need that you need something. You're not getting what you need, you know, and you try and find ways to, to seek help. What do I need to do differently? But we're so limited, so limited. And let me just try and, well, I was trying to stop myself from feeling guilty for feeling shit. You get what I mean? Because I know there are people a lot worse off, but I still didn't take away from what I was going through. Um, a little bit of a context if we're just going to just get flowing. So as you know, I met my partner last year, literally a couple of days before lockdown. We ended up moving in with each other straight away. Went great for a whole year. And beginning of this year, we have a lockdown and we were supposed to be here. It got a bit heavy. Then we got COVID. We were just doing each other's heads in. You know, we were just... Doing each other's head and then she moved out and that was like, okay, she's gone, it's good. Gives me a chance to really kind of start again and I didn't mean it. You know, these are just paying myself lip service. I was like, you've got this, mate, you're fine, you're but I was I was lonely, you know, I enjoyed having her there and I started asking myself, was it me? Did I do something wrong or was it just a circumstance? And I was trying to focus on work. But my head was still there and everything else that was going on. Again, I couldn't go out. I was single again. But we're still talking. Long story, let me just skip. She's coming back. She's coming over here to meet me next week. So that's that's the, 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 the short version of it. But before I went, it was... I wasn't enjoying London. I, I really wasn't. And obviously the work that I'm doing, the work that we do, I'm speaking with, with clients every single day, talking about how hard it is for them. And I get it, but I'm not there. I'm, I'm there holding space for you, you know. I'm not here to unload. I want to unload. <laughs> I want to tell you that I get it. I want to tell you my shit too. But no, no, this is my time for you. And usually when I was when I coached prior to COVID, I was able to come out of it and detach myself away from the space and go and gym or do something else and kind of just get off that energy. But... I've seen all the walls, every corner of my two-bedroom flat in London. Like, there's not much space where you can go out and really get that reset, you know, the reset. So you're taking on all this stuff, but there was no real outlet. And um, again, when I'm speaking to, to mates, that does, it does help, but I feel that there's a more physical need and that comes with movement. And I just felt really stuck. And even being out here, it's weird because I'm opting to stay away from people now. When back in London, I just thought I wanted more and more people, but at least I had the choice. I think the choice is giving me that bit of freedom. It's kind of making me feel, okay, well, if I want to go out, I can. If I want to see people, I can. And 
it's it's really helped my own mental health because if it carried on longer, there's only so much or so long you can keep it together and kind of be okay with what's going on. And you know, you know, there's times when I've I've been away, I've been on holidays, and just that week away, I've come back to London with a new energy. You know, you're like, oh, I'm really ready. That stuff that felt painful before I'm so ready to hit that now I can and I can smash that and I can just bring an entirely different energy to it that just re-energizes the whole situation I haven't had any of those energy resets in the last at all in the last year you know and, and listen some people never get the chance to do that so you know as we say but I, I found I have found it hard I have found it hard and I feel you know I've been constantly stuck in that in that rut and it's just become the norm almost you know so I, I totally hear you I totally hear you and, and beautiful that you've 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 made that move um really beautiful does that any does, how are you feeling about that stuff Rick I mean I know you're 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 married you've got you've got one child two 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 kids so it brings us yeah, one that brings sort of different challenges in itself doesn't it it's not so much loneliness or being stuck it's like trying to find your own space I guess yeah exactly Benis. um I mean like all of us it's been really challenging just for different reasons. I listen like, to you, Mason, you, Ben, and I'm a bit the opposite in that we're lucky we live like semi-rurally in a you know a nice a nice house and we've got like a big garden. And I'm coming into London once a week just to see people, you know, like getting a train into London Bridge and just walking around on my own for three hours and then coming home to just see different people. It's the complete opposite, which is ironic, really, because I know like, I'm very, very lucky to have what I have, but it's kind of like the opposite sense. And I've got people around me who are, you know, deeply love and love me, which is awesome. But at the same time, like you said, mate, like, you're just with each other. You know, you know each other's triggers, and sometimes you just need that new stimulation. It's really funny, Ben, that you said about having fun, because I, I changed my <laughs> I changed my profile picture last night on WhatsApp and Instagram and woke up this morning to about six messages saying, oh, wow, Rick, I've just seen the change. You actually do have fun then. Um, but you know what? It, it suddenly made me reflect a little bit because I said to Mrs. C last night, it, it's almost like you've just forgotten. You've forgotten how to have fun and what fun is. At the same time, you find it in so many simple things like I started going to a skate park every weekend with a, with, a, with my little boy and I've just bought myself a, an adult's like scooter so I've never scooted before in my life it's so much fun and um but there's a lot of barriers I've had to like undo around me about judgment and who's going to see me and like there's a there's a man do this sort of thing you know like all these little things but at the same time I'm like wow this is bringing so much freedom into my life and it's probably the only safe place we can go to have fun um and on the con converse of that i've noticed that i've started to compare myself a lot because you don't watch the news so you've had slowly start to pay more and more attention to social media and inadvertently rather than thinking emphasizing the thought of what can i teach people to help them i've started to look outward and be like oh, i'm not far enough down the line than so and so or Maybe I'm not delivering as much as so-and-so here. And and you end up like deluding yourself into this make-belief world and self-talk that becomes not positive and then affects everything else. And you have to find ways that like we have done consistently for these 12 months to pull yourself out of this like com comparing mode and bring you back. You know, um, I don't know if you guys do it and it was something that came up this morning where I was like, I haven't got that many followers and, you know, all these sort of thing. And you play these mind games. But then I spoke to a lady this morning 
uh, bizarrely, we both went for the same job and I didn't know it. And I taught her all of her qualifications for the job we were going to. And she's got like hundreds of thousands of followers. And we had a chat this morning. And I said to her, like, how's things? And she's been like, basically, I'm struggling. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, I'm struggling, Rick. I'm having to work three jobs now because that role doesn't pay me enough and where I live. And I was suddenly sitting there and I thought, oh, wow. I'm very fortunate to have a job I love. And, you know, we've not struggled, but, you know, financially. And But you can, you're comparing yourself to thinking you can't help as many people as you want because your following's not that big. But now I'm talking to someone who's got 500,000 followers who's struggling because she can't help the amount of people she wants to make her living from. And I was like, oh, my God, wow. Like, what a, what a message for me to get out of my own head of stop comparing because what looks what looks like the the bed of roses actually isn't if you know what i mean you get lost in the story you tell yourself no i was, I was just going to say yeah I, I get it i was luckily not so much now that used to plague me i used to talk to myself i'm thinking how shit i am at doing like what am i trying to do anyway now how am i going to try and find out what i'm going to do by looking at somebody else because what I'm looking at somebody else do, that's what they're doing. They're not me, I'm not them. I remember when I first started coaching, I was trying so hard to use all the coaching terminologies and all these modalities and the frameworks and all that. And it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel right. And that's when I was struggling for clients, when I was trying to roll clients. As soon as I just thought, you know what, fuck this, I'm only good at being me. Things just went like that. You know, I thought it was difficult. I would be willing to take on any clients and I was looking for this, that and the other. I had this analogy that came to me when I was sleeping. It's sort of like I'm trying to compete. And I always talk about, if you see in my feed, don't compete because it's a race that you're never, ever going to win. And there was this analogy that came to me once. It was one of picturing everyone. I use it with my corporate clients. Picture you and your colleagues running this race, a 200-meter sprint. And you're looking around and you're seeing everybody, the anguish on their face, just trying to win this race. That's everyone, that's the, that's the race to try and get to the top, yeah? Don't, know, don't, don't ask me where the finish line is because they don't even know, but they're running. And I said, just imagine if you just stopped running. You just let them run and you just walk your own race. You let them fire out and you just do what you need to do. You just go to where you need to go without even worrying where everyone else is. Because it's that trying to compete and keep up is what just, it makes us, one, it's not sustainable. And two, we lose sight on what it is that we want to do or what we want to achieve or where we want to go. And especially as we're talking about with men as well, there is a, an expectation of how we should communicate, you know, how far along we should be, in a, usually financially. And it's easy to make yourself look like you've got money, you know, but even if you have got all the money, then what? Is that going to make you a better man? 100% no. Is that going to make you have less stresses? No, we all know this logically, but sometimes we can be guilty of falling into that trap of allowing ourselves to think, oh, you know, I do kind of need that. And it all boils down to, and I've done a post about this yesterday, about when we feel like we need to change or keep up, that's because we're doubting ourselves that we're enough as we are. I do affirmations every single day. And one of my affirmations is I am enough. You know, I am, I say, I'm kind, I'm generous, and I'm fortunate. I say all these things for myself, to affirm myself, because I've been doing the work for ages. 
as have you, but it doesn't make us kind of um, immune to these doubts. And I think people sometimes think that you don't, you've always got your shit together. I'm like, no, mate, <laughs> that's not true at all, you know. But I've just got these steps that I kind of take to ensure that I don't go too far deep into a hole. That's life, isn't it? It's always, and then so many of the challenges are external. You know, if we look at the last year, you know, with COVID and everything going on, good luck to anyone who's managed to, to control COVID out of their life entirely. You know, this is the, this is the roller coaster of life. Um, and, I, and actually, I love, I love the fact that we're having this conversation. We've, we've, we've dived in straight away in terms of just, just talking and, and being normal men and, you know, an element of vulnerability in terms of just owning the, the lack of perfections, the, the challenges that still exist and all that kind of stuff. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Hi, I'm Vernon Kay. And I'm Holly Mackay. And we're here to tell you about our brand new podcast, Parenting Past the Pandemic, brought to you by Aviva. Yes, we're going to be delving into a whole heap of parenting topics from the generational gap to online safety. And some of the big topics which have come up through the pandemic, such as helping to manage our kids' anxieties and how we can affect the world they'll grow into. Parenting Past the Pandemic. Find it wherever you found this podcast. Where I'd love to take this now is to dive back into the into the past and where you guys have come from as men, because I don't think we would have been having this conversation once upon a time, right? You know, in, in fact, we, we probably would have been judging the, the, the men who uh, who were having them if we listened in. It's uh, for me, it's beautiful that we are sat here and, and doing this. But I'd love to hear a little bit about because your stories are different, but there's 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 definite similarities. So I'd love to just bring alive, particularly the the bits about how you used to live in terms of we just talked about comparison to fit in, to be, to feel safe and what you had to do as a man to feel safe in your past. And then we'll get, we'll go to kind of the changes that you've made and, 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 and what's happened to allow us to sit in a space and we just have 20 minute chat about how we feel, you know, cause that didn't used to happen. So I don't know, Rick, do you want to, do you want to tell us a little bit about your story of how you, you used to live as a man and, 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 and a little bit more about where you're at now? I know it's a big one, but we try not to go too off track on this one. <laughs> it's easy to tell, like, you know, you know, the part, the injuries and stuff, Ben, but I don't really want to touch on that on this. I think, like, going into pro rugby at an age was very much trying to navigate, like, my masculinity in a way. I grew up in a violent home, so the first male figures were, like, my father, my uncle, and, you know, I had an uncle from, I think I've shared with you before, Ben, five years old, getting me into headlocks, and 
you know, trying to choke me out when I was like five up to 12 years old. And I remember him saying to my mum, oh, he's going to turn out gay. Like, he's too soft, you know. And um, I remember that living with me. And it's funny because I've, I've never had any... I look back at that and I'm like, wow, like that, them quotes and them actions could have really easily had made me become homophobic, but he never, ever did. It was a reflection of, of his beliefs. So I had, you know, you grow up with that. It wasn't until I remember booting him in the bollocks that he stopped doing it. And I had a dad who would ridicule me, you know, 13, I was really overweight, really overweight teenager, and he'd ridicule me in front of all my teammates and shame me, call me all sorts of names in front of other parents and stuff that, you know, in the end, it was becoming fire that I was doing a sport, not because I loved it, but because it was a out. It was an out of anger. It was an out to prove myself. It was my, I guess, unconscious or subconscious way of a rites of passage is how I'd probably managed to try and fix that in my head. And I remember, that, I mean, I'm saying to Mrs. C now, I don't even know how I played rugby. I don't like the cold. I don't like getting dirty. Um... So you can look back and just be like, wow, I pretty much did it to just be keep constantly find a way to prove myself in the world as what a man was. And it was fueled on hatred. I was hate, I was, I had hate and anger just embodied in me because of men in, in my life had made me feel inadequate. And it, it near enough led to, you know, professional career. Obviously broke my back early on. Um, and what happened was that, that that anger got diverted. You know, you go in the gym and you're insecure and you sit there and thinking, you know, a man's a built up man. He has all this armor, this muscle, like he's desired for by women and, and men don't fuck with that guy. And that's, that was what I felt. I'm not saying that was, I'm not saying that's a generalistic view. It was my view. It's an I statement. I thought men won't fuck with me if I build this armor up. Women will want to fuck me if I do build this armor up and look good. You know, and that's where my mind went. It's a real big navigation process, you know, on I honestly felt that I had to go to the gym, I had to keep proving myself. I mean, come back from that from back surgery and they let me made me feel like really inadequate, no use of your legs. Um, you know, coming into the world to find a job and being temporarily homeless or I say homeless, going to a flat with your mum and sister after your dad's kind of left left you, um, wasn't a pleasant experience. So you're without a male role model or someone who's you're looking for their approval. So I constantly look for my dad's approval. He never told me, you know, he'd never tell me how good I was. It was very rare. He'd, you know, there'd be emotional availability. It was consistent, if that makes sense. You know, like he wouldn't come up and consistently hug me and kiss me and tell me like he loved me without there being another way to degrade you. You know, whether it, there's a put down coming, you know, so the emotional consistency wasn't there. Yet you, I seeked this man's approval. And I remember getting to 14 and, and his way of trying to get me motivated was we'd go for a run and he'd bury me like he would bury me in a run. And I'd be miles behind and we'd get home and he'd be doing press ups at home and I'd get in, you know, eight o'clock at night at 14 running around the streets was I found it nervous. You know, I was fearful of was someone, someone jump me or whatever. And one person you know, the figure that you trust has left you for dust. And I'm like, you're the person that's meant to protect me. You're meant to stay with me. You're meant to, you know, encourage me and, and bring me on. And he'd just run off the dust and we'd get home and he'd be doing press-ups and he'd be like, what are you doing, you fat shit? Like, get on the floor and do press-ups and sit-ups. So it was almost like this, you know, this to and throwing of the emotions you go with with the male role model in your life is, in, is you know, he's molding, he's molding the way you see yourself. He's molding the way you feel men in the world are and how you either feel that men can be loving and available and nurture good friendships or everyone's a competitor. 
you know, every man's competitor, everyone's out to jab into your weaknesses kind of kind of thing. And you feel vulnerable around men. And that's, you know, look, I say you, I mean I. I felt vulnerable around men. I was never felt safe. And I always felt that I had to prove myself to like kind of fast forward that, you know, you, I go for the injury and I just felt completely masculized, you know, physically all this armor is dripping away. I didn't really know what my identity was. And after the back operation, it was like, wow, that's it. I'm, I'm going back in the gym, got in the gym again, built this armor up. I'm like, yes, women are going to love me. What else gives me status? Well, I'll tell you what, let me, let me see if I can become a firefighter. You know, so I successfully became a London firefighter and went back to play rugby. But all the time I look back, I'm like, there was no desire to truly be a firefighter. You know, there was no desire to truly go back to playing rugby again at 25. It was driven by acceptance. It was driven by, I want to prove a point in the world. I want to prove I'm a man. I want to prove that on the rugby pitch, every time I played, I was, I just want to physically impose myself on the biggest guy on the opposition's side to prove that I'm more powerful, to prove that you can't fuck with me. And that saying keeps coming back in, into what it felt like on a rugby pitch was I didn't really enjoy it. It was just a case of every Saturday I got to prove who I was in the world as a man. And that authority came physically. It was never emotional, always physically. How can I impose myself on another man to gain authority in my life. At that point, you didn't realise that you were being driven for validation, right? When you were entering the pitch, you know, it's almost like this is healthy, you know, I'm just going to I'm gonna do this, I'm going to make stuff happen. You didn't realise that actually internally it's because you're seeking acceptance and all the stuff that you've just talked about, right? We're oblivious to it. Is that fair? Yeah, do you know what? That, what you just said there is something that, that's just something that went through my head when I played. Make things happen. Like, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I used to think I'll make things happen. Because I was like, part of me is, you know, you got this, someone said to me the other day, you're just a natural born leader, Rick. And part of that was in me when I played team sports. I was always like, I want to be the one to make things happen because everyone else will follow me. And, you know, you can generate trust and generate a team going with you because you, you want to drive forward. You want the best for everybody. But I was unconscious of what that meant. The really the underbelly of that, the source rather than the symptom was validation, was acceptance. And I was trying to treat the symptom, not the source, all, all the time. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. I was oblivious to all of that. And I basically wanted approval. I wanted all the other men. Because you're geared on. You know, you know what it's like in, in any kind of sport, whether it's team or whether you're an individual in a masculine sport. Whether we think we're looking for it or not, we are unconsciously looking for approval from other men when we, when we do these things. Whether we accept that at that time, is, is maybe something we're oblivious to. But what we ultimately want is another man to come over and go, fuck me, you're a legend. You're a legend. And we grow like 10 times over with that. And it makes us then want to do the thing again. And that's what was happening, was people were coming over and be like, oh, wow, Rick, you know, blah, blah, blah. Then you're like, oh, you know, we're human beings. We're feeling chasers. So then you're like, yeah, let me get the armor on again next weekend because I can chase this feeling again. I'll get approval again. And I feel like... You know, I feel like I'm 10 foot tall because someone's feeding this insecurity. They don't know who they are. You don't know that you've got this insecurity, but it's being fed and you're getting a feeling that you like from it. Um, so you chase it again. And they, even when I stopped rugby and I, I, I boxed for a little while, and again, the boxing, same thing. It wasn't from love. How can I learn to protect myself against another man but impose my authority 
on another man. That led to that, and then it got into powerlifting, and it was the same thing. Powerlifting was probably the start of the change, where I wanted to do something for myself. The competition left me. It was just me against me. Um, but at the same time, unconsciously, I say it was me against me. It was me saying a man needs to be strong. And strong for me, well, I'm 40 this year, so strong for me nine years ago was it was all about how much can you lift off the floor, how much can you squat, how far can you push your body in a gym or physical environment. And I remember standing there just literally snotting blood, squatting. And I remember shouting at the mirror um, in front of a whole packed gym, no, no fucking man trains harder than you. No man does this. No man does this. Through every rep where just blood was pouring out of my nose. And I remember passing out and, and messing myself, like, you know, losing bladder control on a sled where I was just like, I'm not stopping. I'm not stopping because no man does this. No man's willing to push this hard. No man's going to come in contact with me and beat me. All the time, I don't know until now, everything was male-related. I'm going to this masculine environment, and it was just like, I'm feeding the beast. I literally was feeding this horrible beast inside. that I'd managed to shift the perspective as if it was a positive thing. And all I was doing is really like, it's just a whole different way of self-harm. So yeah, that's where it got to. I won't go into the transformation period yet, but yeah, so it's a, uh, then you wouldn't be, I wouldn't be, be able to be as aware as we are now and do the work we've done the last six years to be who I've become. And them experiences have molded a lot. Like I, I never look back, like Mason, I know you, you resonate with this with what you've done in the past and you too, Ben, but it's only these last six months that I'm able to look back and go, wow. Although there was so much self-harm and all that, Rick, you are a resilient motherfucker and it doesn't matter what life gives you now, you can get through anything if you are willingly able to put yourself through that. So you still like you still get the insights now after all the deep work that you've been doing ourselves, especially for me the last five years. It's only coming to light to myself where rather than think, oh my God, what was I doing? I didn't even do any of that. It's now like, Jesus. I kind of like managed to realize I can be my own inspiration in this world. I guess with my message is always now with, with my life, with my coaching is, is I want to inspire others. Like I really want to inspire others just through my own experiences and my own story and the tools that we've learned, you know, becoming a coach. And when, you, when you're aware of the stories we tell ourselves and where we go to share that story with others and to listen the whole space for them and really inspire them into action, you know, that never could have been, a, could have been possible without 15, 20 years of, of going through that yourself. Yeah, totally hear you. Thank you, brother. Thank you for sharing all of that. It's powerful, yeah. really powerful. Thank you, man. It, even hearing it, it was like, it just sounded so fucking strong. You know, like, go 10 years ago, you hear someone talking about how difficult they found it in their reason, their motivation for doing something, you think, huh? But, mate, all I heard was strength. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that. It's, it's a powerful story. And, mate, it, there was moments when I was thinking, what was driving, what was pushing me before? What was making me do the things that, I don't think I've ever asked that question to myself. So that was, even when I get off, off this call, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to just start to, to wonder why I used to do the things. I, I can speculate, I can assume that it had something to do with my upbringing, but I never knew. So a bit of context, born in London, council estate, mum was 16 when she had me, dad was in and out of jail, abusive. I'd say he loved me. He used to say nice things, he used to buy nice things, but he used to do some really shit shit and I mean he was aggressive I used to see him beat people up and I was quite young when I realized that my dad was a bit of a dick like going through all the cool shit that he's done and the cruel shit that he's done he, he was a bit of a dick and not a good dad and spent most of my time visiting 
visiting him in jail. It was no surprise when I ended up going to jail. I first went to jail when I was 17 for a year and a half. And on my 18th birthday, he wrote me a letter, or was it Christmas? Either or. He wrote me uh, a letter and he sent me a pair of clippers. And in this letter, it said, I know how important it is to keep up your appearances. So here are these shavers. No visit, no nothing else. He just sent me a pair of fucking shavers to shave my head. I didn't have a role model because he wasn't it. Because I knew from a young age that the way he was living life isn't the way I wanted to. And I think it's because I saw him put my mum through so much pain and and my mum was my hero. You know what I mean? So it was kind of... I was scared of him because I'd seen if he can do that to the woman he's supposed to love, he can probably do that to me. And so I remember always kind of tiptoeing around him and sort of like pandering to what his needs were. And then it got to an age where I think I was about 16, 17, and I saw something that he wrote to my mum. I called my goes, if you ever chat to my mum like that again, I'm going to come and I'm going to pretty much fuck you up. I was first took class A drugs when I was 13, heroin, crack, all through school, committing crimes. I remember saying to my mum at 14, I don't need your money anymore because I was going out doing my own shit with my mates. It was only when I was about 16, 17, a friend of mine who's not with us anymore, he said, Mate, you look absolutely awful. What have you been doing? And that kind of changed the way I well, wanted to continue. So instead of taking drugs, I started to get on the other side and selling them. And this was when I first started getting kind of noticed. I was always fighting and stuff. I was always troubled because that's what the kids done. We always used to fight and we always used to compete. But then when I realised that if you wanted to be included... If you wanted to stand out and not be a victim, you have to do something. You have to be tough. There's no other way, otherwise you're just going to get ruined. You're a man, and if you're going to... But I saw people get bullied, stabbed, shot, all sorts of stuff. And I was thinking, well, it's either eat or be eaten. And that was my mentality. And I was... But it was weird throughout this whole time. I remember writing a blog post about this. I always knew it's not what I wanted to be doing, but I'd done it. When I was fighting, I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, I'm going to have to fight this bouncer. And I was good. And I'd knock someone out. Everyone'd be like, yeah. And I'd smile. But I remember just going back thinking, when is this going to change? I had no out. This was my whole social group. Everyone was doing it. And I was the man. And that part of it, I loved. Like you said, Rick, I loved that part of it. It was feeding me. It was giving me something. I was taking some value from it. But that was it. Everything else other than that was was pretty shit and quite quite empty. So I went in and out of jail for a few years and it got to the point where I was like, okay, well, I'm not doing this anymore. And I was still fighting. Ended up turning pro in MMA. Fought for seven years. Got injured. And... That is where my, when I started to look at myself, not straight away, but my, I identified as a fighter. You know, everybody was looking up to me because I was a fighter. This guy fights in a cage. He's big, he's strong. And I had to keep up this pretense because there were so, so many times I just didn't want to be strong. I wanted to talk about feeling upset, feeling sad. And I never, ever had that outlet, ever. Not even to my closest mates. You know, I've got pals that see things that I put out now, mates that I've known for 25 years, and they're like, no, that's powerful stuff, man. I never knew that that's what you was going through. And it's a beautiful thing because since I've started sharing, 
the times when I would do things just for likes, you know, just to be accepted, people start to open up towards me as well. And this is what's so powerful about the work that you, um, that we're doing, because it really does give us permission. I'm not going to talk about the transition just yet as well. There was always this need to want to be accepted and to have to be strong because I didn't know who I was or who I wanted to be. You know, I was just molding myself based on everybody who I saw and everybody that was getting the respect that I thought I wanted. But now I know that the people that got the respect, now I can see them. I can see their fear. I can see the pain. I can see that they've set themselves at this at this bar that they feel fearful to like put down now. Like the mask, the mask is so tightly on their face. The wall's so high that no one can get in, but they can't get anything out either. They feel stuck, you know. So, and I was that man. I was that man. And now, being able to be soft and being able to openly talk about it, it is just. It just fills me. It just, it really does give me everything I need because I remember what it was like not being able to share. It was a lonely place, man, as I'm sure that you can all agree, you know? I always say that wearing a, wearing a mask is heavy, right? And well, God, I mean, you guys said, do you know what? I was sitting there thinking, oh, it's a bit tricky for Mason to follow Rick's story because that's such a powerful story. You know, and then Mason shares his story. I'm sitting here with tingles and I'm going, my God, you know, it's just to hear you two both share that incredible story. I mean, unbelievable stories. So there we go. Rick and Mason. I don't know how much, how much that resonates with people, how much they, they've either seen similar stories in the men around them or actually as a man, they can resonate with those stories themselves. But yeah, powerful stuff, really powerful for me sitting there listening, you know, particularly well, no, I don't want to single out either because they were both equally powerful. But I didn't know Mason's story as well as I as I as I listened. I knew more of Rick's. So just to hear the depth of Mason's story was like, wow. You know, I only know you as the man now, and to really hear the truth of what you've been through, really, you know, I had goosebumps sitting there listening to that because I know that's not the man either of them. Either of them are the stories that I heard. I know them to be so different and I can say the same for myself, you know, some of the stories I could tell about the way I behaved. So yeah, really powerful, really beautiful to sit in that space. I'm incredibly grateful for them being so honest and, and sharing their stories and it really sets us up for the next two weeks of going deep into why we were how we were and how men could easily fall on that path and the truth of what we think men really are underneath their stories, underneath what they learn to be which I just hope is really needed right now. I feel it is, so I, I hope that resonates. So if, if this does resonate, I would love it if you shared with, with anyone, any men or women who you think might like to hear it. Yeah, any support would be much appreciated. Feel free to, to, to review, to subscribe, to comment, um, to share, to follow. I think with Apple now, I lose track. Um, but thank you for any support, any help you can give us. Uh, we'll be posting snippets on the Naked Professor podcast on Instagram and also on my Instagram, the Naked Professor. So yeah, thank you for listening in. Thank you for any support. I hope you've enjoyed Rick and, Rick and Mason. Uh, we'll be back next week to dive deeper into this. I hope to see you then.